When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back, and this is episode 130, Build APIs Fast with Strappy.io. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week we'll be discussing what APIs are and how to make them using Strappy.io. Now, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us on our Discord server, or just share this with your friends. And a brief reminder that the Weekly Goals app will be in beta shortly, hopefully, and you can go and track that progress on our public Trello link is on our Twitter somewhere. I know that's not a great advertisement, but I will hopefully make it more available if I remember. Now, Mike, you wrote out this episode. You know all about the APIs. You know all about the strappy.io. So please, sir, take it away. Okay. Uh, so why do we need APIs? Simple websites like online businesses or something like that, they might not need something that has API level control. And to just to just to get into a more general conversation, APIs are application programming interfaces. And essentially what that means is that they allow an application to talk to another application or an application to talk to a backend, if that makes more sense. So front-end, backend communication, that's a, a mostly driven through API integrations. And again... Simple website, simple business card website, especially if you're making something for like a coffee shop or maybe not even a coffee shop, like a mechanic shop, you know, something that's not going to change very often. And you want to just kind of control the changes yourself as the web developer. That's probably not going to need any sort of APIs. But other than that, anything where a CMS is involved, anything where any sort of create, read, update or delete CRUD functionality those are the kinds of things where APIs come in handy. And if you think about it, most, and I think I think most applications out there are most likely API driven, whether it's WordPress, whether it's, you know, Shopify, whether it's uh, WooCommerce, which is WordPress, whether it's Webflow, all that has APIs working. Sometimes you don't notice the APIs, which is great. Um, but regardless, that's kind of how it communicates with the database. A lot of the times, any like another kind of common fact with APIs is anytime you have to you know, read, store, or modify anything inside of a database, you need something in the middle to kind of make that a little bit easier for you. Because no one's kind of, you know, going straight from the web and reading directly to like a MySQL database on a server. You, I don't know if you can do that. I'm like, correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone's ever literally like cor- directly written to from JavaScript to MySQL on, on in a database. I don't think it's possible. I think there's a there's a, probably a lot of reasons why it shouldn't be possible if it is uh, because of security implications because you don't want to you know SQL inject uh, right from the browser without a middleware that can actually detect it and stop it. Um, but regardless, anytime you want to modify a database, that's going to do an API. And again, just you know creating a regular like let's let's talk to do list application. Just creating a to do seems like a very simple uh, operation. Like you just need to create an object that it can be stored somewhere and then later accessed. But as soon as you start thinking about a little bit more intensely and a little bit more uh, programmatically, that like when you're actually starting to build out the process, it actually becomes, there's a lot of intricacies that we kind of forget. And I'm just going to list a few of them that something like uh, a CMS or something like a headless CMS will have thought of for you and helped you with it. But if you were building it on your own with PHP or Node, you have to think about it yourself. So you're going to have to think about what kind of endpoints the application will need. So what does that mean? What, you know, when your front end needs to communicate with your back end, what are those communications? What do they need to be? Do you need to communicate with your back end to get all the data from the database? Do you need to communicate your back end to get certain data only for a certain user? Do you need to communicate with your back end to get to create data? Do you need to communicate to edit, delete, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? You need to think about every single endpoint that you need to create when you're making one of these APIs, when you're making a, a system that controls APIs. 
then what users should have access to it at, to what endpoint? So different endpoints should have diff different authentication requirements, correct? So let's say you were the user that created the to-do list, right? Or your a to-do. And maybe your to-do lists are publicly shareable. So you want people to be able to see the to-do, but maybe not edit the to-do that you created. And that requires permissions handling, right? So again, how do you build that in? What do you use to kind of give permission to yourself, but not give permissions to another user, but give them still permissions to be able to at least see the to-do? You can see where this gets a little bit complicated, even when it's something simple. Then you need to think about, again, how will the user create, how will the user create, or how will someone create an account so that they can go in and actually be authenticated and be able to create their own to-dos? So there's got to be an endpoint for, you know, creating an account. There's got to be an endpoint for logging in to an account. And then there's got to be response from your server that can, that contains some sort of token or something that you can use then on next requests. So on the request to like edit, you would send in a token uh, of the authenticated user and the server would have to check that token and make sure that you can make that operation. It's again, that like who has access to what, again, is this is a, a, a rabbit hole. As soon as you start going down into it, if anyone's ever out there built like an API from scratch in node or PHP, this is something that they've had to battle. This is something that they've had to go through. And at first I guarantee you, if they were just kind of doing their own thing and, uh, thought, hey, let's just do this on my own. They were like, oh, this is going to be easy. I'll just create, you know, one or two different routes and it'll all be good. And then all of a sudden it just snowballs on them and they have a, you know, a, a code of like 2000 lines just to control someone's to-do list. And which, which is fine. And like doing it yourself sometimes is better because you have so much control. You have so much uh, deliberate control, for, especially for access and deliberate control for what is running and what isn't running in the back end. Um, but again, if you're a one-man team and you're doing a full stack project and you have a limited amount of time, it's going to be a very time-consuming process, especially if you're not aware. And we'll talk about how Strapi can help with that in a little in a little bit. I just want to go through a couple more scenarios where an API helps or what, when you kind of have to think about what an API is. Then the other thing is like some APIs need to be available to the general public, right? So let's say you're doing a My Weekly Growth Goals application. I need to make sure that all the weekly growth calls that are made are available to everyone going to the site without any authentication, right? But on the other hand, I also don't want people to just go to the site and just start hitting the site and all of a sudden overload my backend. So I need to put in some sort of, you know, DDoS control on the backend to make sure that even though this, this uh, API is available to the general public, they can't overload it. So again, it's something that you have to think about. And you need to think about how the data will be associated with each other. So when you create a weekly goal, back to the weekly goal, growth goals application, uh, I have to make sure that I know who created that weekly goal. So I need to make sure that when I'm sending the weekly growth goal uh, payload to be created, I'm also sending the user that's creating it with it. And on the back end, I need to be able to store that user with the weekly goal and then also make it sure that it's queryable to be the point to the, to the point where if a user wants to see all their own weekly growth goals, they can then go in and search for those goals in the back end and then show it on the front end. So stuff like that, like, again, I don't want to overwhelm anyone because this seems probably like a lot that I'm throwing at you for APIs, but those are general kind of questions that you have or uh, purposes of APIs in a general, very simple application. It gets much more complicated than that when you start going down rabbit holes for like, you know, administration control or working with multiple different integrations. If you're working with like, you know, your company's corporate database and then you have to merge in some sort of new database that comes in maybe like from a Salesforce team, that's when stuff gets to be even more hairy with APIs. But regardless, it's all kind of doable, even if you do it like just straight from scratch, again, with just Node.js or PHP, uh, it's all doable. But there's are, there are tools that can help you at least especially get started for smaller projects. And that's kind of what I want to talk about uh, with what Strapi is and what, what it can do. And, and I think that the, the breakdown you just did is actually very critical because a lot of people will only really associate APIs with the general public APIs. So things like if you're trying to pull from a if you want to make a movie app where you're going to track a movie collection, let's say there's there's a bunch of movie and TV databases or more specifically a bunch of TV databases um, and movie databases with public APIs associated with them so that you yourself are not tracking all these movies from 
you know, the beginning of time, whenever they, whenever you want to manage them from, you're not tracking all the metadata, like when they came out, why they, or what their uh, descriptions are, you know, why they came out in certain places at certain times, was there translations, you know, there's tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of data that people might want to learn about, especially in a collections app or track. And then you also have variants of the movie. Like I said, if you have a, a, you know, a Spanish translation of an English movie or vice versa, and just like choosing random um, sort of metadata, there's tons and tons of metadata data associated um, with different TV shows, especially because there's so many TV shows or too many, so many TV episodes, let alone so many TV shows. So like you can't manage that data. And so to me, as a person who like rarely uses APIs or like at least kind of, you would think you rarely use them. You would think, oh, like an API is something that is general to the public, where if I want to make a movie app or a TV, a TV app, a TV show managing app, I'm going to pull from these publicly, these databases that have a public API. But the API goes further than than that in thinking that, you know, there's effectively an API within WordPress even, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Mike, but if you think about WordPress, you're just thinking, oh, everything's all together, right? So I'm on WordPress, I'm using the editor, I've like logged in and I'm going to add a blog post. Well, the blog post is going to be stored, you know, somewhere in the database. It's going to be tracked with, you know, I logged in. So there you go. So I created the user account somehow. I logged in. I have a profile. So my profile is associated with being allowed to do certain things on the website. And so whenever I go and change something in the database, like some users will be able to update plugins. Some users will not be able to update plugins. Some users will be able to change to uh, to add new plugins. Some people will not. Some people won't, ha- won't have any sort of permission at all other than to change their own profile and then change their own uh, blog posts or add new blog posts and they won't be able to edit other people's. So there's like this varying sort of engine under Underneath, and it's this API that's you know communicating between effectively the WordPress front end of you editing and then also seeing the site as a customer or as a logged in user because there is a difference. And then um, the, the database, of course, which is effectively populating the website. And that's why, you know, if you were to just take WordPress with no with no um, with no database, you know, like let's say you take an existing site, you just whatever, I don't know, you forget to back up the database. I mean, you're going to have a little bit of information, but you're not really going to have much, if any, um, depending on your situation. You know, maybe you'll have like if you cache your website, maybe you'll have like the cache or something. If it's cached locally as like static files or whatever, you know, there's a million and one ways to configure a WordPress thing, but you're not going to have that sort of backbone that that database. You're not going to have that period. And so it, that's that's sort of. The reason why I'm going on this kind of rant is because, you know, APIs to a lot of people are just solely the public ones or the private ones where it's like, oh, I really want to get into this this app's um, API. So I have to like apply for the program or I would love to, you know, pull from this video game database or I would love to pull from this movie database or this TV database, as I've said. And that's where that's sort of what the marketing term, I would say, API has become. And that's exactly what I would think, like most people think it is. And People understand as well, in general, what an API is. They understand, oh, you know, it's this interface in which I type in certain commands like, you know, I don't know, tv.getmovie or whatever it is, and then it gets me a random movie. Um, they understand that 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 they're use, that they're typing that in and that's, you know, instructing this public API to go and get a random movie from X database on, on the Internet. Uh, they understand that. But I think that it's really crucial to for people to understand that this that APIs are actually sort of everywhere. There's a lot of them and they they're in a lot of different they're in a lot of different applications that you wouldn't even think of. Um, one thing that I'm going to actually bring it back to is Mike and I were in college. We did embedded programming. Now, not to get into the weeds of it, but one of the things that we did was we learned how to make drivers. Literally, like if you think about it, like Windows drivers, except on a really small scale where we, we have like a chip on like a, a very simple circuit board and we want it to blink an LED. So one of the ways to do it is to turn on a register. Again, not going to get into the weeds of all these terms, but you want to turn on a register. So you can normally just constantly reset and reset that register or you can make your own driver that says like LED one dot on or whatever, right? LED one, like turn LED one on. So it's easier. Effectively, you've kind of like you've made a driver. It's very similar to an API there. It might even be considered an API. I don't know. Again, not getting into the weeds, but it's very, very similar to that. And then another thing to Mike's point is we learned how to make that driver just for that simple LED. But then our teacher gave us his core files that controlled the whole chip more than just the LED. Why? Because like Mike said, APIs are sort of runaways. There's tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of functionality and tons of little things that you need to consider. 
and, there, and it can easily become a runaway. So our teacher taught us how to do the most basic just so we understood, you know, you're making a driver here and these are the core files. And then he just gave us the core files and was like, this is how you control more advanced things than just the LEDs because I wrote these core files out. And the core files were like a collection of drivers and blah, blah, blah that we used in order to control other things like the register, or like turning things off and on and, you know, moving things around or turning on interrupts and everything else. And so the same sort of thing goes with APIs. You might think my API is just like, oh, you know, my public, like my API is just going to be to access movies. It's like, you're right, but then who's adding these movies? Like, are they going into PHP, my admin and going into an SQL database and then actually typing in into the SQL database directly, like new entries? Like, that's pretty bizarre. Are they writing the commands and then like doing an import? Also bizarre. So there needs to be an interface there where people can add movies. But wait, you can't have the public adding movies. You need to have... You need to have, you know, only authorized users, people that maybe own that database or work at that site or whatever it is. And so you're like, well, I need to have an unauthenticated thing. Oh, okay. So do we need one API with a, you know, a separation between public and private? Or do we actually want complete separation, have two APIs where the public API doesn't touch the private and the private's just done with some sort of CMS, but then the, uh, the actual um, public API is literally that like literally designed just for the public it's completely separate so that there's no accidental bleed between private and public and this is these are this is where that like just touching on it i'm already getting into the weeds of it and so that's that this is why i think that having a breakdown like this is super important because apis are really have really sort of become a marketing term in my opinion like a marketing term to the technical people not to the like the common you know, person that just opens up their iPad and reads the news, but a person that quite literally that's in the industry, like API, if you haven't really touched it is really has really become a marketing term for those public APIs. And I think that it's really crucial that, you know, that, you know, it really does go beyond that. And chances are you have, or are currently using an API without even really knowing it. Yes, exactly. And I think you broke it down really well there too. Um, in the sense that like, a public facing API and a private and a private API that you build or a CMS that you build are essentially the same thing, right? Because of the public facing API, yes, it had to think about a few more things uh, than your just private facing API that's used to manage content. But essentially, it still ends up the same way and you still consume it the exact same way. And that's why it gets a little bit confusing in that sense where like what is a, you know, what is an API and that definition. Um, but regardless of regardless of the confusion, it is kind of like exactly the same thing. Uh, the way you consume an API can be very different. And I'll touch on that a little bit. But another thing that you brought up uh, that that's kind of really important and something that I actually missed is the fact that like that core file idea or the driver idea. So my suggestion to everyone out there, if you're serious about doing full stack development, if you're serious about doing backend development, before you jump into something like Strapi or before you jump into something like um, full on WordPress development or something like that, my suggestion would be to go in and create your own small, something really simple API with routes and stuff like that, whether it be with Node.js or uh, Laravel or PH, just straight PHP, doesn't matter. Just do it something with a more base language because it'll give you an appreciation and understanding of what's going on when you're actually using one of these services. Because when you're creating something like a Node application, you create routes inside of Node. And those routes essentially are the APIs. So you create like a slash... Uh, slash um, users route right and inside of that slash users what you're doing is when you're act when when a user hit when a user tries to types in your domain and does a slash users it'll hit that route and then you can put whatever logic you need to happen inside of that slash users function uh, the route function and inside that logic you would probably put something like you know uh return all users, return all, all all the users in the database. So you would have a database call, open your database connection, grab all the users from the database, and then send back as a response to the API call, the users, and then the front end would do whatever you want with it. But the, the idea that I'm trying to make is that when you create that with your, on, with your own two hands, when you go through all the documentation and stuff like that, and you then and then you switch over to something like Strapi. Every time you're using one of the APIs, you make that connection immediately, and you're like, oh, okay, so now I'm you know I'm authenticating a user. Oh yeah, that's right. In inside of Node, when I did that, uh, I had to use this route. I had to use this notification, like this uh, this functionality of that route to be able to see if it's uh, if it's authenticated or not. And when you have issues, 
even with something like Strappy, which is, again, I'll explain in a second, uh, even when you have something simple as, as Strappy, you know exactly where you're going to need to look. Whereas if you haven't done the base configuration, like the base understanding of how an API works, it's going to be a lot harder to debug it because you don't know where that, you know, that disconnect will be most of the time. Like if you have an issue, you're like, oh, I don't know what's going on in the back end. Um, I'm going to have to get a professional in here to figure out what's going on in the back end. Otherwise, I'm going to have to, you know, kind of go line by line. So again, it's good that you brought that up, Matt. Um, that is a great suggestion is to go back, in my opinion, and learn the basics. And I'm not saying create a whole massive application in it. I'm saying like, you know, do a few routes in Node, connect some sort of really simple front end that doesn't have to be styled or anything like that, that can, you know, interact with the back end and then maybe write to it and then display something on the front end or something like that. Really simple. And as soon as you do that, I'm telling you, as soon as you do that, you'll have that aha moment and that connection and be like, okay, now I get what Strapi is. Now I understand what it's trying to do because it's doing all those things for you. And again, so to get into what Strapi is and how it does it, and like how, how it helps, Strapi is a headless CMS tool, which generates, which helps you accelerate the creation of APIs. And a headless CMS, again, we've talked about this before, but it means it's, a, it's essentially just a backend uh, service. So some like built on Node, Strapi is built on Node, and an admin portal, a front-end admin portal built on React that generates endpoints for you and connects it to a, whatever front-end actual application that you like. So again, the admin portal is something that, that Strapi helps you generate. And then the backend connections with the uh, databases and the actual server routing is another thing that Strapi sets up for you right from the get-go. So again, it helps you get started with all of the API considerations that I've mentioned. So everything that I mentioned, start to finish, I was able to do inside of Strapi uh, with no write, no code writing. All I had to do was essentially like, you know, download the project, run the project. I had to learn how to do that. There is a little bit of a setup process. But once I was figured out how to run the project, everything that needed to be done, all the correlation, all the user creation uh, technology, everything like that, all the endpoints were generated for me from the admin dashboard. And I could edit all of the different collection types. I could edit all the different, you know, weekly growth goal posts, like what goes in a weekly growth goal? Well, I have to make sure that it's associated with a user. I have to make sure that there's a weekly growth goal string in there because like obviously you're going to want to put in a weekly growth goal in there. I have to make sure there's a date in there. All of that I could do from Strapi's own admin portal, which it generates for you. So that's the power of something like a headless CMS and especially something like Strapi. So it's a it's managed from a user interface and it provides like the interface again is built with React. So even if I did have to go in and do some sort of custom functionality, I'm able to do that because you know you go into the React files, everything is open source, so you can go right into the React files and edit it and make your own kind of adjustments. You can white label it all you want because it is open source, um, and it, they give you that ability. It gives you an out of the box media editor, so when you're uploading media to it it will allow you to kind of crop it, to adjust it slightly and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden it, it also generates APIs for your media. So um, I don't know, Matt, were you saying before, oh, no, I think before we were, before the podcast, we were talking about how WordPress handles uh, media. So it, it doesn't like, you know, upload it and then just generate you one URL. It actually generates you multiple different URLs for different use cases. So if you need a thumbnail, it'll generate you a separate URL for a thumbnail. If you need like a pre-cached image uh, where it's like kind of like a little bit blurry and Gaussian um, before it loads, it'll generate you that as well. It'll generate you a full image. It'll generate you a medium-sized image for your like phones and stuff like that. It generates all that for you. And it has that all like that functionality built in right off, right off the bat. And it has all the blog creation tools that you could want as well. Like, so like rich, rich field, uh, text boxes, markdown editors, all that is built into the initial strappy configuration. And you can obviously like, you know, extend it as much as you want, add your own custom functionality, whether it be like, you know, let's say you, um, you have functionality in there that, uh, every time you post a blog post, you need it to go in and check your, your, uh, server to make sure that it doesn't you know, interfere with any of your other blog posts. Like, let's say you post like something about, uh, you know, Strapi version two. And what you want to do is you want to go into your database, make sure that you haven't posted exactly that Strapi version two before. You can write a middleware and they give you all the tools that you need for that to be able to go into your database after you, after you hit the post button and verify that there isn't anything else in there and then send back like an error or whatever if there is. So you can do that if you want. Um, 
Yeah, so it, because it's open source and because it's uh, self-hosted, it actually gives you the ability to host it wherever you want. So anything that has a VPS service like DigitalOcean, Heroku, AWS, Azure, all of that is open for you. Uh, it doesn't hold any of your data, if that makes sense. It actually gives you the ability to use any whatever database that you want. It has the interfaces to work with MongoDB, SQL, Postgres, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all the different databases and connect straight to its own backend system. Uh, Strapi has a bunch of starter projects, both with Vue, React, Flutter, uh, a bunch of different front ends that you could possibly consider. And you don't need a starter project to get started. It's fairly easy to get started. If you want to just do like straight JavaScript, HTML, and CSS, you can absolutely do that with Strapi. Um, but again, if you're, if you want to make something really quickly, a starter project, how it helps is like, you can, you know, just open up your starter project, download it and see how they made that connection. So how, how are they calling data from Strapi? How are they posting data to, to, to the Strapi front end? You can see how it's already done and then just use those functions in your own code and, uh, kind of, you know, copy, copy, paste a lot of the functionality, only do minor adjustments on the actual connection front. That's how is the, it? How is this thing running? Like, so I, not to interrupt, but you you mentioned DigitalOcean, Heroku, AWS, Azure. Mm-hmm. Can you run this thing on something that's like super common? Let's say you just buy a shared hosting cPanel that's like you know Linux with Apache and the works. No, it's you uh, cannot. You cannot run this on a on a shared hosting platform with Apache or Nginx. You can run the front end on it. So if you want to run your website on Nginx or Apache, you can absolutely do that. But the back end has to run on uh, a VPS. Right. So what do we know or do you know, I guess, what it is like? So it's not like PHP then. It's Node. It's Node. Okay. So that yeah. that's the reason. That's the that's reason. The, Correct. That's the yeah. reason. Okay. That's the okay. reason. Yeah. So it, it's just a note. It's, it's using Node in the back end, whatever database that you want as the database, and then React as the front end application that connects to that back end for the admin portal. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's why it needs a whole thing. But it has one click installs, I believe, for both DigitalOcean and Heroku. Um, I haven't done that yet. I have that on my list of things to do, and it's in my Trello board that Matt mentioned at the start of the episode. Uh, so you can check out the progress there and see where I'm at with the, the production deployment. But the idea that I have is I want to create everything locally, make sure that everything works locally, and then I'm going to spend, you know, it's probably going to take me a day or two to get everything ported over to some sort of service. So I'll either go with Heroku because it has a free tier, or maybe I'll do I'll open up like another $5 DigitalOcean droplet or something like that. Um, I haven't really decided yet. I'm leaning towards Heroku because I haven't used it yet and I want to try it out. And again, that free tier, I, I'm, this is something that I want to do, like, especially when we launch the site, but one of my future projects, uh, is going to be create, like, um, how to create a free project without having to pay for the domain, without having to pay for the hosting, without having to pay anything, right. Until you actually are generating income. So that's going to be one of my future, you know, blog posts or maybe video series. I'm not sure how I'm going to handle it. Um, but that's something that I want to do is, uh, create something with the lowest budget possible and still be able to uh, run it effectively, like fat, like still be fast, still be extensible, and then be able to scale if it needs to scale, essentially. I have, I have a question for you, actually, and this is mm-hmm. slightly off topic, but also kind of on topic as well. And, and I guess it kind of plays to your, or poses a question, I suppose, to your, your free project idea and this like cloud hosting idea, basically. So to me, um, hosting, to me, like if you just say the term hosting, the first thing that comes to mind is still a cPanel Linux uh, of whatever distro with, uh, you know, like Apache and the works. You know, you can you have your SQL uh, databases, I mean, your MySQL databases, you have your email access and like your cPanel gives you all these tools to access all these things and all the rest of it. And and to me, that's still that's still when someone says hosting, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Do you think that? These other hosting services, so DigitalOcean, Heroku, like I, I know you said there is some uh, one-click installers for Strapi, um, which is very reminiscent of sort of that traditional host that I just laid out, the cPanel one. Do you think that cloud hosting effectively is what I call DigitalOcean and these other services? That's basically what I call it. So do you think that these quote-unquote cloud hosting services are going to become more commonplace as sort of that de facto like i'm using hosting and that's it's going to play a role there or do you see 
um, sort of the traditional cPanel hosting being the de facto hosting kind of moving forward. And the reason why I ask that is because I think for a new user, especially since like, you know, we're talking to people that are brand new with APIs, you know, if they if they decide to try an API, like try to uh, they want to try just making like that sort of beta program that you mentioned where it's like, oh, just use PHP or whatever you want and try to connect to an a MySQL database. A lot of these people that, uh, you know, are trying to getting sort of getting into this will oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes have just sort of some shared hosting setup because maybe they have a site or two on there um, via reseller or what or add on domains or what have you. And so they're going to be locked out because because they have to effectively go to one of these other services. So do you see hosting and I know this is sort of a big question, but do you see hosting as something that is going to change over to these sort of quote unquote cloud hosting services like DigitalOcean and and friends or because the way I'm seeing it is if you go to just a hosting website and they're all different, but let's just say in general, you go to a hosting website and you go to buy hosting from them. They just say like, oh, host your website here, host your host your WordPress here, host your this, host your that. But there's nothing that's very clear in the marketing and such that says we don't run Node or we don't run this or we don't run that. And that's, I think, maybe what makes these sort of, again, quote unquote, cloud hosting services so um, – so niche or so technical because it's it's from the layman or from a beginner's perspective it's really unclear what the difference is and it's it's very um it seems like DigitalOcean and friends are very advanced and they can be now with these one click installs they are getting there getting more uh, getting more like the cpanel guys i guess but i'm just curious like what's your take on that like like are are companies like Strappy, you know, obviously they're running they're running on Node, but like are they leaving the door open when it comes to like maybe they should have a PHP version for these shared hostings, or do you see sort of that traditional cPanel or whatever sort of Linux blah 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 shared hosting model sort of going away and everyone sort of getting in on this again quote unquote cloud hosting model. So I don't see it going away completely, um, but ju- just to put it out there, AWS and Azure are VPSs, and they're like I, I'm pretty sure AWS is an Amazon's number one moneymaker. So in that, the trend is definitely going to uh, digital, like to VPS services, mm-hmm. and um, stuff like Heroku, stuff like DigitalOcean is making the other stuff also extremely accessible but again i don't think it's gonna like i don't think these shared hosting services are going away completely for sure because again we we talk about wordpress all the time that's not going away that has to be hosted on those services on the other hand a lot of what a lot of what's happening for people to kind of own their own stuff and not have to worry about shared hosting they are buying like you know azure or aws cloud like vps or dedicated vps machines and uh, putting their own versions of cPanel on that, and then hosting WordPress and stuff like large oh, agencies. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like to be clear to the audience, when I say shared hosting, that's the first step. Like, you can have a VPS that's running cPanel, Linux, and all yes. that stuff. Like I said, you can also have a dedicated doing the same thing. But usually, you start at the shared, so that's kind of what gets associated with it. And the other thing about the starting, uh, I think a lot of new developers nowadays are actually starting with like the Netlify and the DigitalOcean or the Netlify and Heroku stack. Mm-hmm. At least that's what it seems like on the whole like, you know, Dev.2 and Reddit and everything else that I'm reading. A lot of people are foregoing even starting on the shared hosting. They're just going straight to a Netlify or a GitHub pages approach directly connected to some sort of VPS. So the trend, I would say, is definitely going towards the VPS services because the the other reason for it is new developers that want to do full stack, it's easier for them to learn JavaScript and then just use JavaScript in the back end, right? So that's why Node is kind of becoming more and more popular. And then a new um, this new TypeScript, not 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 a TypeScript version of Node, but like a new Backend services come, becoming popular as well that runs TypeScript called Dano and is also built on the same kind of principles that Node is. So it's also going to need to be uh, VPSed. But again, 
this is the trend. Obviously, there's still tons and tons and tons of people using regular traditional hosting platforms with cPanel um, and other other versions of cPanel. Like I know cPanel had a whole big thing where it increased their prices by a thousand percent. So now there's other versions of cPanel, other uh, like you know types of cPanels running around that are kind of a disaster. Like like Plesk and stuff. Although exactly. Plesk is pretty good, like it's yep. usable and all that. Plesk like, it's is not... usable. There's other open source ones that are really bad. Um, we've we've recently had some interaction with them but regardless uh yeah so there's there's that still going on definitely 100 percent, and there's still a lot of it i don't know if it's going anywhere personally i just think like the new trend uh that i'm seeing at least and this might just be something that's kind of just happening in the um the dev blog sphere because we know that they move very differently in very different directions than that's what i'm worried about too yeah Yeah. continue but yeah yeah i think yeah exactly i think they move in very different directions but it has been happening for the last four or five years so i would say it's pretty consistently moving towards vpss um and it's becoming easier and easier like you said with the one-click installs and like i like i mentioned uh it's becoming a lot easier um Docker is bringing it a little bit more forward as well, allowing you to kind of have one installation for everything else. Now, I'm not going to go with Docker this time. I have, I have some issues with Docker, uh, and I want I'll get into that in a different episode because it's too much of a tangent. But there, there's a lot that Docker does great, and a lot that it's just it seems like it's not ready. Like if I was if I was in an industry like you know, if I was in a enterprise environment and i was running docker i would be panicked 100 percent of the time like that that's just that's just my feeling of it and people can correct me and attack me if i'm if i'm wrong on that and they've had like perfect experiences with it but i haven't met anyone that had like an amazing experience all the time with docker i've met a lot of people that are very like passionate about it and love it and use it every day but if you kind of probe them a little bit it's always like oh yeah yeah i have those issues too so it's just one of those things that's just not I, I don't think it's done yet. I think they're going to make it even better, and that's what I'm kind of what I'm waiting for before I use it. So I'm going to I'm going to go with just regular uh, the regular hosting kind of approach uh, through Heroku and the one click app install. Hopefully, hopefully it works, and I'll be reporting on that. That is something that I'm worried about because I hate deployment stuff. I hate production stuff, and one thing that I will be leaning on you, Matt, is uh, just DNS help. Oh, I can do that. Yeah, I'll just I'll just need help with po- pointing something to pointing the DNS to my server, and I'll give you like all the information. Um, but I think with that, uh, just just to let let everyone know, the reason that I've done doing this episode is because I am using Strapi currently in the weekly growth goals application, and I was able to do you know, create users programmatically from my front end, which is view 3.0, uh, send login requests, create weekly goals, get get all the weekly goals. All of that was done through Strapi and all through the GUI. I have not touched the code yet, which is why I'm so impressed with it, right? And that's not to say that there's other, like other services are worse or anything like that. Um, but I'm just like, I've used Sanity before, and that's what I want to talk about in the next segment. I just want to do a comparison. And I've also done, obviously, the custom, you know, Node.js creation of APIs. So I have some insight into, like, the different variances of how you create an API in the, in the JavaScript world. So I just want to talk about that real quick. Um, so, again, plenty of ways to build APIs. We've covered Sanity.io before, and it's still a great option, honestly. Like, it's really good. But it has a different use case, in my opinion. Sanity actually hosts your data for you. So they have their own managed service that will host your data, your database, and uh, and even your admin portal if you want. They, they do give you an option to host your admin portal yourself, but they do give you that like admin portal hosting as well if you want it. And this, what this allows is really quick production environment setup. So everything that Matt was just talking about or Matt and I were just talking about with DigitalOcean and all that, that's not required of Sanity. You don't need to do it. It's all hosted for you. It's all done for you. They have a generous free tier, so you can get started and up and running really quickly. You don't have to worry about uh, you know, where you're going to host your backend, where you're going to host your database. They manage that for you. But the issue is, if you start to become big, if you start to become... If you start to need to have custom functionality, uh, if you start to, to need more control over your data, it becomes more of those things like, well, how do I do that? Like, how do I get access to my data. Now I'm relying on sanity. If sanity goes down or sanity goes out of business, I'm done. Right. Because they're, you're not, you're not touching the data of it. Like you're only interacting through their own APIs that they've created with the data. So 
it has its uses in my opinion, but again, it's one of those things where like, if you're worried about your data, if you, if you think this project is going to have a long, long lead time and, you know, you might switch different front ends, you might switch to different back ends in the future or something like that, then that's why I kind of wanted to try out Strapi because again, Strapi is fully open source. Um, it does have a paid tier. And, but the only difference as far as I could see is that it gives you more roles. So when you create users, you're, you're given three roles, uh, for free. So you can have like, um, an editor, a, uh, pub, uh, uh, an admin, and then like a regular user or something like that. I can't remember what the three roles are, but regardless, those are the general three roles. But as soon as you want to get more complicated and you want like 30 roles, you have to start paying per month for Strapi as well. But for something like the weekly growth goals application, all I really need is the ability to be authenticated and not authenticated. I don't really care about all the different roles. Like I don't need to, I don't need to have one user see more weekly growth goals than another user. If I had that kind of, you know, stipulation, then I would have to probably pay for it. Um, but other than that, everything else is free. Like you own your data, you own the code that you write and you can white label it as you want, because again, it's, it's kind of, it's open source. All the code is ready for you to edit yourself. Um, yeah. What so, is, what is mm -hmm. your, sorry. So with that, I actually have a question. Mm -hmm. So what is your take on, on APIs versus, okay. So should you be using a pre-made API like Strapi, should you be using like something that you make yourself or should you be using something that isn't an API on the front, but it is something like WordPress or another CMS where it's like, it's uh, not like advertised as an API, but like I said, it's like in the workings of it somewhere. Right. Um, what is your sort of take on when you should sort of pull the trigger on those three options. So like make your own something like strappy sanity, whatever, um, depending on your use case or something like, like a, just a CMS, like when, when should you pull the trigger on those three? So in my opinion, it depends on the, like the complexity of the projects and the customization requirements. If I, if the person comes up to me and says that they want a super modern website with very good uh, performance, really good animation, something that like, you know, would stand out, and uh perform well and, and like just like i don't know i i can't really tell but like if you go to the strappy website even you can see how modern it looks and how great it kind of uh it performs you can see that there's just something different about it than something like a generic wordpress or even a shopify or something like that it's something that would be difficult to do in a fully controlled and managed cms system um not that it's impossible. I'm sure it's possible to do because there's a lot of customizations you can make yourself. Uh, but regardless, it's like if I wanted, if someone were to come up to me and be like, oh, I want you to go to strappy.io. I want you to make me something as eye-catching and as performant as this website. I would lean towards going the custom build route. Um, and custom build, not necessarily like fully Node.js from scratch and stuff like that. I would go with a custom front end, like a Vue.js front end with uh, animation libraries built in and stuff like that. Because it would just be a lot more difficult to replicate and not make it janky like a Shopify or a WordPress would be. Because I've done animations and stuff like that in Shopify recently, and it's always it's always like, you know, they have one use case that they want you to use. And if you want to change it, it's going to look janky. So that's my front thought there. Creating your own complete like backend infrastructure. Mm -hmm. That to me would be like, okay, I need the utmost security. I need the utmost control over my data. I need the, you know, the most, um, I don't know. I need the most up, up. I need to make it obscure as heck so that people can't hack it easily and stuff like that. So it's, it's one of those things where like if the budget permits and you have the team of experienced backend engineers, you can do a lot with a custom backend. Like you can do whatever the heck you want. Right. And you don't have any overhead because you're only building the routes that you're need that you need at that point. Whereas with like a WordPress, Although you have overhead in money yes, because you're paying a bunch of engineers, but you don't money, have overhead money, in that, like, money and time, obviously. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah but, take but you don't have overhead time. in API functions that you don't use. No, exactly. So it's one of those balances. Like if, again, if a large company 
came to me and I had a team of engineers that were able to do it and they were like, I need this to be as secure as possible, et cetera, et cetera, then I would probably lean towards the custom build route on the back end as well. That's where it goes, like maybe enterprise level stuff. Or maybe like a startup with a with a decent amount of seed money that wants to grow, right? So if a startup comes to you and they're in the very early stages of their rounds and they're already like, you know, tens and 20 and $30 million uh, into their rounds and they're like, well, we need a, a platform that work, can work now, but we can also extend as fast as possible then uh, and as much as possible, then maybe a custom build route works for them too because it's obviously the most extensible one. And the thing is, too, is like enterprises have such specific use cases Yes. that if like if you're a person that's like none of these APIs uh, like services or none of these CMSs do what I want, then it's like at that point, it's like, OK, you either have to start looking for an enterprise CMS, which I'm, you know, I assume is out there somewhere because there's enterprise CMSs, enterprise APIs. So the, look at the enterprise grade of your stuff. And if that doesn't exist, then you got to build it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the other the other consideration would be like. What kind of systems am I interfacing with? Am I interfacing with, you know, a mainframe? Am I interfacing with a old Java-based, you know, uh, database system that is from like the 90s? Stuff like that. That I would also lean towards custom build for that if I have to interface with it on the backend side. Because I would also, just write a middleware that can, you know, interact with it. Well, also, too, is if you're trying to get information... And it, let's say it's legal. Let's be serious, but like let's be let's be fair here. But let's say you're trying to get information from a service, and, and it's legal to do so, but there is no API. Then you have to write your own yep. type of thing. You know what I mean? Like whether it's through somehow accessing their database with their permission or whatever it is, you may have to. Those are times where you would have to build your own for sure. I think that's exactly it. So like again, it's those really special use cases where it just makes more sense. And you have the time and you have the money and you have the correct team of, in, of engineers because you're going to need engineers. You can't do it with like a bunch of, you know, uh, self-taught web developers to be able to build a whole system like that. Like you're going to need self if, if you're self-taught, you're going to need to be self-taught in data structures and algorithms, self-taught in uh, in all the different systems like design patterns and stuff like that. Because it's just when you get into the weeds of a cell a, 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 a from scratch build backend system. You're going to see how far the rabbit hole goes. Yeah. I mean, that's a good, I think that's a good sum up. Um, I mean, it, I mean, a APIs are super interesting. APIs are something that we, you know, most of us use. APIs are something that are invisible or right in your face. They're public or private, whatever. Uh, and it's important that you know about them. Like, even if you're not a person that's like the engineer, like Mike said, that knows all the data structures and stuff like that, of which I am not, and of which Mike is not kind of, you've done some classes, but like you're not. A no. full, yeah, not. A full. Uh, I don't know what the official title would be. I was trying to think of it, but I actually like don't a computer know what it science. Is. It would be computer science or software engineering, full on, like, like a I'm, data I'm, scientist too, or data something. Scientist, like yeah, exactly. you might need one of them on staff, or maybe you might need a couple staff members here at this point. But, mm -hmm. um, but like you can get into the the weeds to your own degree. Like obviously, the weeds could be like, oh, I need I need a way to create accounts. Oh, I need admin role versus user role. Oh, I need these this page to look different when there's an admin role and when the person's like a regular user. Oh, I need this editor to be viewable by this person, but not like those are the weeds enough to get into it to like, and then you could be, uh, you know, using APIs like API tools like Strapi or you know building your own really simple ones or what have you, but. Uh, but yeah, you can get super, super, super deep into the weeds on this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. exactly. uh, but beyond that, uh, I'm sorry if I sound a little nasally. My nose started profusely bleeding when Mike was talking. So I have a Kleenex stubbed up my nose at the moment. Uh, and it's an old Kleenex that was used as a coaster. So no. it's very dusty and it smells horrible. That's uh, so bad. yeah, it's horrible. Uh, it's really bad, actually. Uh, there's blood on my hands as well. So that's good. But anyway, uh, yeah, so sorry if I sound a little nasally, had a little bit of a, apparently a random medical emergency. But anyway, um, I think it's time for our weekly growth goals, Mike. I think we talked a lot about APIs and all the hosting and stuff like that. So uh, we had the same one this week and it was finish our bookkeeping. Now, Mike and I have three. I'm not going to get into the weeds of our finances due to like security and such, but basically have three distinct areas that we sort of tackle because we have an accountant that does all the government stuff because I don't know what I'm doing, but we just, you know, put in our like, we bought this, we bought this, we charge this person money, that type of stuff. So we have three sort of distinct separations, 
Mike has expenses that he like goes through and does all that that stuff. I have expenses in which I go through and I do all that stuff like business expenses. Like if I need a mouse, if I need a computer, if I need a hosting service, whatever. And the same thing with him. So we have finished our goal this week in that we have finished our separate things. So the third thing, because I did say there were three, the third thing is just sort of going through and knocking out all of our miscellaneous business stuff. So if Mike and I together work on a project and we charge a customer for it, it's kind of like joint jurisdiction and there's like money in the account. And it's like, where's this money coming from? Well, obviously you just, uh, you know, we just need to organize all that. So we've done that. And so at least my weekly growth goal is to finish that third part of the bookkeeping and then submit. Um. Yeah, I mean, year end. Boring, but true. I don't know about you, Mike. Same thing, I assume. Yeah, exactly. It was the same thing for me. I kind of just grounded out over the weekend and a little bit yesterday. I, I, you know, it, I hate it, but again, it's one like when you're done one of the things, like you get this little check mark in QuickBooks. Matt and I were talking about before the, <laughs> and it feels so good to get that check mark when you're actually done all of the, uh, you know, line items in one in one of the accounts. Um, and that kind of drove me to do more. And I finished a few things. And again, like Matt said, we really all we have to do is kind of match up like, you know, why did we withdraw from the account here? And why, you know, when the money came into this account, where did it come from? What invoice is it matching? So we just have to match essentially what money's in the account with the invoices that we have. And I think that's about it. Yeah, so, it's not chaos. Like to be clear to everybody, it's not like we're doing all our bookkeeping at the end of the year. We have all of the like receipts you know, set aside, whatever we have the receipts, uh, set aside or available to us. Uh, we have like, cause usually they're just emailed to us. Let's be serious. We know what the accounts are. We know what days the, the monthly transactions are happening. So basically all we're doing is taking all the pieces that we already have. It's not like we're looking be like, where the hell are these receipts? Like, no, we know where they are. They're there. It's just basically like, now it's being like, okay, this receipt did this and it charged tax and this is how much it was. And it has this and then yes, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just putting it together um, is basically what we're doing right now. So we've done our separate things. Now we're on the togetherness part. So that's good. Good progress literally has to be done. So there's literally no excuse at this point. Still our weekly growth goal. Um, but if you have a weekly growth goal yourself, please, you know, reach out, uh, tell us on the uh, on the old socials comment, you know, DM us, whatever, uh, tweet at us, whatever it is. Just let us know what you're doing. Hashtag weekly growth goals. Uh, let's make some stuff happen and make some cool stuff. And um, I think that's really it. Uh, short of uh, kind of announcing the web news and the web news this week, which is going to be coming out uh, hopefully tomorrow, is my me, Matt, number one, number my number one UX tip. My number one UX tip, something you should always follow, something that you should always at least consider, something that you should always keep at the back of your mind, and something that you almost always hit when you're doing testing. So a little bit of a teaser there, but uh, tune in tomorrow and I'll give you that tip. Um, same place, this RSS feed, this podcast app, whatever, it'll be released. And uh, remember, we're on Patreon. If you want to support the show, that's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out those tiers. Give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript via youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript, Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design via localpathcomputing.com, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital via blueblackdigital.com, Chris from Self Made Web Designer via selfmadewebdesigner.com tim from the web hacker via the webhacker.com dl ford from dl4.io bib hashdash from nine block media via nineblockmedia.com and jason from geek life radio via geekliferadio.com feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform that you are listening to this on and this outro will sign us off You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.